Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we all gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never talk about in a film studies course. And I'm telling you what, gang, if you are wanting that, if you are wanting a movie that will never come up in a film studies course, in a, you know, a queue of suggested films, if you want a film that will never come up in conversation with people that you love or people that you hate, this week's film is an example of that, Dalton. And, uh, sorry. We're going to be talking about Lost in Space, which is exactly where Dalton will be after this week. Now, I, for those of you thinking we might now be... Now taking applications for a new co-host. Fuck you guys. Hey, you know what? After after Mother of Tears and the hard time I received, All right, I you will, know what? You know what? You're right. That bus is coming I, and you're under it. I should have given I should have given grace when I had the chance and I didn't. Uh, and now I'm asking for it. Hey, Dustin, I forgive you for Mother of Tears now. Oh, do you, now you do? What? Hey, you know what? This is not <laughs> this was not as painful to watch as Mother of Tears. Let's be honest. It's a different kind of pain. That's fair. Uh, I don't to, know. Yeah. Oh, I would rather watch Mother of Tears. No, no. I can't unsee the things I saw in that. I can forget about this movie again. It is forgettable. Now, to clarify, we did not watch the uh, 2018 Netflix series Lost in Space. Uh, Nor did we watch the 60s television series. We watched the 1998 uh, film that had a Pizza Hut tie-in starring Matt LeBlanc. Was it a Pizza uh, Hut tie-in or was it a Long, Long John, John Silver's? Silver's? That's right. Arthur... Hey, that used to be a restaurant. Yeah, it did. They're still around if you look for I, them. I guess they exist. You don't now, see them very often. Now they though. just sell like you know coagulated grease. I think. Mm. Yum. Mm. Just the fried crispies. Just give me the crispies. Yeah, that's me, why I'm going. You know why we're here. I, we're, I actually like going to Long John Silver's for the chicken more than the fish. I do I, like the chicken. Guys, gotta say, big fan. Hi, welcome to Fast Food Talk here at Good Trash Media. <laughs> yes, Long John. Every Silver's. week we'll be reviewing your favorite fast food joints of the '90s. I think Michael Ian Black actually beat us to that podcast. I think him oh. and uh, oh god, what's his name? I can't think of the actor's name. He played uh, Zach Braff's brother on Scrubs. I think they had a podcast where they ate junk food together. Yeah, so that's fun. Yeah, yeah I think w- we lost Wendy's that one. is great because their burgers are square shaped. I think that's a game changer. <laughs> you got to be innovative if you want to stay fresh in the fast food game. And it's always fresh. Though, All right, you know? let's get this out of the way. <laughs> fresh, never frozen. We got to we got to rip this bandaid off right now. What's your go-to fast food joint, Dustin? Hit it. Uh, go-to fast food for Dustin is Sonic. Okay. Good, a regional choice. I like it. I Arthur. Like Arby's. <gasps> you know what? Hey, buddy, I'm not going to argue with that. Arby's is a strong pick. Arby's is my pick. Arby's is good. Look, he, I know he, it's I know it's popular to talk shit on Arby's. I love those mozzarella sticks, dog. They got the meats. They ha- they've got the meats. And Arthur likes to go where they got the meats. I love those H. John Benjamin commercials they're running right now. They're fun. Uh, I'm going to also keep it regional. Taco Bueno. Taco Bueno, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, my, my, my next pick, like a close second, is probably Brahms, also a regional pick. Also I a regional re- pick. I really like Brahms. Them crinkle cut fries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just the, you know, Brahms the is good. milkshakes of every guy. flavor. <gasps> if I want a burger, I want a water burger. Yeah. Oh, I do like water For burgers. fast food burgers? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm feeling real, real, uh, just, you know, like, I got a, like, I've, I've got a craving. Yeah. I go to McDonald's. But here's the ultimate grudge match question. Especially if the McRib is in fashion. <laughs> and it is right now. The McRib is, is in is, uh, McDonald's uh, across the nation and uh, participating stores. So go out, uh, get a McRib. Uh, thank you for tuning into the Good Trash Genre Cast. Uh, brought to you this week by McDonald's and by the McRib. You're killing yourself. Okay. So here's the head match, though. I mean, here's the real cage match okay, of, of all fast food. It's, it's, it's the Whopper or the, or the Big Mac. What is it? Oh, fuck yourself. It's the Big Mac. Yeah. The Whopper Are you trash. serious? It's Always the Whopper. The Whopper is trash. No, I like. That. I think the Whopper is a. I actually go. Hamburger. I would go quarter pounder over a Whopper. 
Okay, well, I mean, a quarter pounder is a different burger. Yeah, with okay. a different dressing. I'm not gonna go with the Big Mac because I don't like the Mac sauce. So I feel like that's yeah, I don't like the Mac sauce either. Yeah. And uh, Burger King's got that charbroiled meat, mm-hmm. and I'm all I, about I that. I like that charbroiled. I think they're yeah. they're fries. And the sesame seed bun. The fries are garbage. Well, I'm not the the, the cage matches between the burgers. It's, though. it's see, it's all part of it so for it's me. It's a package deal. Exactly. It's the it's part the accoutrement is part of the table. But setting. they had those like really weird um, Burger King King commercials with the plastic face. I do miss those. Those, those were, were good. Fun, yeah. That was a highlight of the 2000s. Okay, I guess we can talk about this movie now. Can we? Apparently, we won't talk about anything but. Let's go ahead and identify. So there, that was a fun diversion. Hi, so, welcome back. So, so, so now that you know who has what favorite uh, restaurants and what favorite sandwiches, etc., let's identify these disembodied voices speaking to your brain. To my left, sir, who are you? My name is Arthur Gordon. And did you think my name was Shane Lizard? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to be watching another season of a uh, Big Mouth rather than this film. Oh, hey, you know what? I didn't get that, but I, I appreciate it. that it's something else. And I'm very happy about it. And who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and a boy of my intelligence should never swear. Oh, see, that was... M- okay, my name's Dustin Sells, and I was going to say that to Dalton. Oh, shit, indeed. <laughs> uh, originally, I was going to tell Dalton that he should never breed, and that was my medical opinion. Oh, that's nice. Look, you got to be honest. Gary Oldman, say what you want about this movie. He's having a blast. Oldman's got some lines in yeah, this movie. Oh, they're clunkers. Uh, well, Yeah. Sometimes you can make lemonade out of lemons. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes. Um, however, uh, so if you're tuning into this show for the very first time, we don't ordinarily talk quite so much about the um, German imported sandwich that is the favorite of most Americans. No, indeed, we talk about movies. And when we talk about movies, what we talk about is analysis, not review. And that means we have to spoil that particular film. Can't be done. You it, can't do it. Yeah, and so we're going to have to talk about how the thing ends. And we'll try to avoid that if you have not seen this 20-year-old movie. 20 years old. Weird to think about. Um, but I hadn't seen it until, you know, this week. And so there's a chance that that is very, very possible that you had not done so. And so we will avoid spoilers for the first bit of the show. It looks like this synopsis from The Voice of Cinema. Thumbs, thumbs down, thumbs up, reviews. But we all know better than you that. You just said thumbs at first, which was fun. Well, thumbs reviews. That's accurate. Th- th- thumb reviews with thumbs down. Yeah. Um, that's what I was trying to think. I gotcha. And then after that, we will have a game that we will play, which might involve the mildest spoilers of this particular film or other films in its orbit, but it'll be very mild, very gentle. You know, it's, it's that baby step into spoiler territory. Yeah, we start and, playing a little fast and loose with the spoilers. And then we get down to business. There is a musical cue that indicates business is commenced, and at that point, all spoiler bets are off. You, my friends, have now been warned. Without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis, please. The Robinson Family. Gets lost in space. Are you serious? No. Oh, oh. damn. <laughs> I was really hoping that was just... Okay. What's that IMDP, IMDb plot summary? IMDP. I, IMDP. It's, uh, it's all about directors of photography. Yeah. The internet. Uh, the Robinson family was going into space to fight for a chance for humanity. Now, they are fighting to live long enough to find a way home. You were pretty close with your uh, off-the-cuff. Yeah, you're much more succinct plot summary. And then after Gary Oldman mutates and he lands in the backyard of that little boy named Elliot and they make friends, I think it's really beautiful how that all comes together later. The, The worst part is you're not that far off. 
He's not that far off, and it is quite shocking. Let, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, I'll let you uh, guess which part he's right about uh, yeah. before we move into the spoilers uh, later in the show. It's very, it's a, it's a beautiful moment, you know. You look just like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. <laughs> That's what it is. That's oh my god, he does. <laughs> he's got that outfit on. It's very cold. I'm wearing a watchman's cap. I tucked it up just higher watch for because the I have by headphones on. It's it's also like. No, he's not wearing a pea coat, so it's not a one flew over the cuckoo's nest nope. thing. I'm not yeah. trying to be fashionable. I'm trying to be warm. You look very fashionable, though. You can't help it. Uh, well, no. I just quit. Let me be nice to you. I don't like Except it. Except a compliment. Yeah. I know in your generation that's not uh, commonplace, oh, but just here we uh, go. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll jump out yeah, in front no, of this no, ball. I, I wasn't going to hand it to you. I was going to hand it to Arthur. Oh, okay. Well, you were Ooh. taking too long not accepting a compliment, so okay. I was going to keep the show on the track. Well, why don't you go ahead and do it now? I mean, it's already there now. All right. I'll jump in front of this bullet. So Arthur, we, we, we were programming this month of, of, of movies. You know, we decided we want to do 90s action films for a month. Uh, Arthur, uh, said, do you want to do Goldeneye or Lost in Space? And I was like, let's do Lost in Space. I saw it in theaters as a kid. I want to see what's going on with this movie. Uh, and I said, besides, we can save Goldeneye for another time. We will definitely get around to doing more James Bond movies. We probably won't get around to Lost in Space unless we do another 90s marathon. And I'm real sorry that I made that call, guys, because this is not a good movie. Um, I tried really hard to like this. Uh, I was shocked at how much of this film I remembered. Uh, there was a there's a beat in the second act where I was like, wait a second. How do we get from the things that have already happened that I remember to the things that are I know are going to happen? And the answer is a bad screenplay. You, they just basically, it's, the, the layout of this movie is insane. It is like they took the first season of a television show and crammed it into two hours. And you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, I, when I say we, I don't just mean Arthur and Dustin and I, I mean, uh, people who talk about, you know, media on the internet. We've spent a lot of time the last couple of years talking about Netflix's bloated TV model and how their seasons are too long. This is the exact opposite problem. It is taking way too much ground coverage and deciding it's going to compress it into a two-hour movie. And look, television shows have been turned into movies successfully. Movies have been turned into television shows successfully. It can be done. And, and I don't just mean, like, serviceably. There are TV shows that are based on movies we all really like. There are movies based on TV shows we all really like. It can be done. And yet this movie just keeps dropping the ball at every turn. And there's moments where I want to like it. Uh, I, I, I like the first act kind of sets up this thing where every member of the Robinson family is in their own movie, which I think is kind of cool. It lets each of the, the members of the family be a POV character a little bit. Uh, Penny is in this, you know, this teen angsty teen movie. Will is in this, you know, kind of a uh, Amblin esque uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, childlike wonder movie. Um, William Hurt and Mimi Rogers are in this, you know, family drama thing. Heather Graham has literally nothing to do, which is a travesty. And then Matt LeBlanc is, you know, also in his... I like that aspect of the first act. You know, setting up these characters, what and their stakes are. And he plays his one line the whole movie. Well... The well, whole movie he plays, how you doing? Yes, he absolutely does. And I don't feel like it's entirely his fault, but we'll get there. Mm. But again, I, I like the setup of this film, right? I like checking in on these characters, setting up what the stakes are for each of them. There's a moment where you think, okay, this could be something. And then they go to space. <laughs> you know, the... The, the the movie, they get to what the actual movie is, and it just immediately falls apart. And I, it's hard to say where it goes wrong, because there's so much that's not working. From some some CGI uh, late 90s effects that are really, the reach is exceeding the grass, to a real clunker of a screenplay, both in terms of dialogue and in terms of story beats. 
and in terms of character motivations, it really goes entirely off the rails within about 20 minutes. And, and it's a damn shame because, again, you heard the cast we've been talking about. That's a good cast. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman, Heather Graham, Mimi Rogers, William Hurt, uh, Lazy Chabert. I like, I like all of those actors a lot. Uh, the kid that played Will didn't really do anything after this. Jack Johnson. Yeah, thank you. Uh, he did some VO work, um, but he, he hasn't done anything since like And later made a lovely soundtrack to Curious George. Uh, different guy, buddy. I know. Okay, just making sure. I can never tell with you. Your 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 pan is so dead that I can never be sure. So again, we've got a hell of a cast assembled here, and they just they're doing their best. I, all of the actors, I'm going to put in a bubble where I will not malign them, except Gary Oldman. Maybe we'll talk about how it turns out he's maybe not a good guy. We might get there. But in terms of actual performances, I think everybody's doing their best with material that they all have to know is not very good. Jared Harris is in this movie, and it's not good. We won't get too far into it. It is a spoiler to talk about Jared Harris's role in this movie, but he's in it, and he doesn't. He gets they, well. They dub over his lines. Yes, it's insane. I don't. I tried. To, I tried my hardest to find out why they dubbed over him with another actor. I couldn't quite figure out the why of that. But uh, again, I think you know we do spend a lot of time on the show talking about when form and function aren't working. For me, it's not even the, there are issues with form in this film and function. You know, it's it's a pretty rote uh, shooting. I mean, it it looks like a '90s action blockbuster, but that's not the problem with it. I don't think. I think the problem really stems from a script that is way too busy and characters that are way too thinly sketched. Because you could have a two-hour-long movie that just kind of jumps from thing to thing without really making much sense of why you've gone to the next thing, and it could still work. We've watched plenty of movies on this show that just kind of jump from one thing to the next without really explaining the connective tissue. Sure. They can still be good. But when you don't have characters that... When you're not giving your actors characters to invest themselves in, you're not giving the audience characters to invest in. And you lose your movie right away. And uh, that's that's what I've got to say about Lost in Space. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you in terms of a thumbs-down review? As I was watching this film, I you just uh, assumed thumbs down, just to clarify. Accurate. Yeah, I, uh, I, um, there's about uh, within the first thirty minutes, there's probably a good two dozen or so just terrible puns, real uh, bad in the script. Yes, and I was thinking to myself, man, this sounds a lot like Batman and Robin, uh, you know, and uh, so I was like, I wonder who wrote this movie. <gasps> and it yep. is Akiva Goldsman. You're Goldsman, kidding me. No, nope. wrote. Batman and Robin. There you go. Uh, just what a year or two prior mm-hmm. uh, to this, and and uh, he got work again. Here's the thing: the Holly movie, Hollywood will give screenwriters Akiva work Goldman forever. Wrote a time to kill. A time to kill. What he did mm-hmm. uh, the John Grisham novel. He did a Beautiful Mind. Yep. He did uh, a few other movies. Cinderella Man. Yeah, Cinderella Man. Yeah. Is the other one. He's so, written a couple of good ones. Okay, so like when I write, you know, but you know what else he wrote? Dark Tower. Yeah. Okay, so there are things I write sometimes that I care about, and there are things that sometimes I write because I have a deadline or I have an assignment. Is is, is this one of those things where it's I'm like sure it's a for hire deal, paycheck, and then I care about? Okay, well, I, I think here's here's what it is because let's not talk oh. shit too hard because you're right. He has written some good movies. I think there are some writers who are good at being a hired gun, and there are some writers who cannot be bothered to pretend they're going to try. I think you need to have a writer. And a director combo to make that work because in A Beautiful Mind and in Cinderella Man, you have Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Here you have Stephen Watts' name who did the masterpiece Predator 2 
uh, Ghost in the Darkness, uh, and a handful of other films. Uh, his Hopkins is his last Hopkins. name. Yeah. Oh, those are not bad movies. I like Predator too. I like Ghost in the Darkness. Are they? They're not good. Do they're you not... like a Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child? I do, but yeah. I like. But it, 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 we, we, we're talking Freddy now. All right. Well, you're that, the, that's uh, another, you're the outlier that's here. A, that's another beast. I'm just saying the guy's highest rated film uh, on the Tomato Meter is Race. Uh, Which uh, I've heard good things about. Yeah, I don't know that movie. Uh, that's the Jesse, Jesse Owens. The Jesse Owens movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, oh, it's about mo- race. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out, and racing. Yeah, it's a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> he's mostly worked in TV uh, lately, but yeah, it's you know it, he's uh, yeah. he's a real journeyman, and uh, pro- especially at this point in his career. But I think you just have a combo where you have to have a strong director, you have to have a strong writer, and I don't think either of them are that strong together here. Um, and the other thing I think that's playing a factor here is, as I've mentioned, this is coming two years after Batman and Robin, which is, uh, you know, went back to its root to play off of this campy 60s TV show. And I think they're trying to recapture a lot of that element here with Lost in Space. Uh, there are a lot of moments early on in the film that just have this kind of camp feel to them. But then it becomes too self-serious, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it really falls apart. It can't find its tone. It's not really sure what it's wanting to do. The writing's doing one thing. The directing's doing another thing. And it, it, the screenplay's just a mess. And it, it falls apart on film. Uh, I, I like a doll. I mean, the cast is good. Yeah. The kid has a... Will, Will has a lot of potential. Um, I, I like LeBlanc. I think he's strong here. Because the cocky captain is cocky. That's what he's supposed to be doing. I, I think he plays it well. He's he is especially for the persona that he had in 1998. I'm with you, Arthur. I think he's super well cast. I think the screenplay does him a disservice and doesn't give him any room to grow. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna vouch for Le, I'm gonna vouch for LeBlanc here. Uh, I think William Hurt's maybe one of my least favorite. I think Mimi Rogers is doing great. Uh, I, Gary Oldman is just on an, he's doing his own thing and he is having a blast doing it. First to sign on to the screenplay. <laughs> couldn't wait. Out. Couldn't wait to do a family film. Apparently. I get to do Zerg again. That's what he said. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, I I get yeah. I get to play the character played in Fifth Element. People are actually going to see it this time. Yeah, great. So, uh, you know, as far as casting and stuff, I think it's spot on. The effects. It looks like they spent the entire budget on that opening set, and it just goes mm-hmm. downhill. They try to introduce this weird, quirky CGI alien thing. You mean Monkey Jar Jar Binks? Yeah. Oh my god, and, uh, it's so bad. Full disclosure: I did have the Long John Silver's puppet of that creature. Um, Blarp. Blarp. They name it Paul. Lacey Chabert's character names it Blarp. Paul Blarp. Paul space Blarp. Cop. Space Cop. Thank you. That's um, Space Monkey well. Cop. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is, a, it's just a garbage movie. Uh, and, and it's, the cardinal sin is that it's, it's not just bad, it's boring mm-hmm. and bland. Uh, much like the Italian job, as I mentioned off air. And just, no, it's a no go right out of the Houston. We have a problem. Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also am saying thumbs down. I'm not a fan. And there's, a, there's, a, I mean, it's a handful of things. I like William Hurt, and I think he is doing his William Hurtness. I mean, yes. you know, he is doing what he does, and I think he's doing it just fine. I think a movie about a absent father sort of ignoring the life of his son, that's an interesting movie. And, and I think young Will Jack Johnson and William Hurt are in that movie. And uh, that's fine. I think this movie about uh, this mother and her two daughters, uh, one of whom is a very, very, you know, uh, successful scientist, doctor person who doesn't say anything other than I'm a successful doctor person. Um, and you, you know, you can tell she's a great doctor because the, everyone in the movie keeps saying she's a good doctor. Right. Um, but she doesn't do any good 
doctoring. Nope. The uh, screenplay just let me double check. Yep, lets her get saved a couple of times. Oh, good, good. I'm glad that's happening. Just wanted to double check my notes. Check in for some patriarchy. Um, But then we've got, you know, the daughter's, you know, other dynamic there. Yeah, Penny the the daughter. Interesting, you know. Yeah, she's, she invented vlogging in 1998. Right. There's yet another Will Robinson movie about this inventing of a boy finding his machine and becoming friends and learning to trust each other. I'm I'm all about that. And then there's Mm. Gary Oldman doing this mustachio twirling, you know, uh, 20s film. This gonzo nihilist villain which is you know i'm i am evil so i know evil because i've gone to the <laughs> because academy I'm so evil because i mean he has a line like that i i graduated from the academy of evil you know yeah. i mean he, i mean he's i mean fine i mean that th- those are all fine movies and then you know matt leblanc trying to say um i'm doing a movie in which um i don't want to be in friends anymore that's what it says a little bit and um I, frankly and i don't believe leblanc at all as his character i think he's too goofy all the time i think he turned i don't i don't think he does militaristic i don't think he does professional well enough in that sort of again uh martial sense i think he's always short of that i never believe him as a guy who spent years and years in military service i think that's totally fair because uh he does come across super glib in the scenes where he's like hanging out with, with his uh senior officer yeah he comes across a little too glib and those are the moments it makes sense for him to be glib when Nobody can see him being glib. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying, though. And the, the scenes where that character should be not glib, he's still glib. Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. I tell you who would have been better. Um, oh, no. His name is gone. But his buddy. Is Lenny it, James. L- yeah. J- as Jeb. L- yeah. Lenny James. Lenny James, uh, okay. who plays Jeb. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Lenny James is awesome in his two scenes. And he would have killed it. But Lenny James is great. Yeah. And, and, he, and he could have been silly. And he could have been fun. He could have been yeah. romantic. He'd been, he could have he done a how you doing kind of thing. He definitely could have. Yeah. Man. Uh, that would have been a fun and also, you know, racially interesting. Yeah. But but nonetheless. Um, Lenny James' American accents. He's got a bunch. And he's, man, he's so good. A lot of British actors only have one English American accent. He's got a couple. Yeah, they're always fun choices. So that's all possible stuff that's going on there. Now, in terms of narrative, and I want to address something because I have a different take than Dalton, I think, a little bit. Because the movie is uh, too long, as Arthur said. And the movie is a whole lot of stuff crammed in. But it feels like a single episode. It is just that episode of we've done a jump trying to find home this is not going to work and then we escape by the end but it's two hours long with way too many little set bits and pieces going on and so it, it feels like actually a single episode that's a good point uh, okay i could see that you know which is i mean that that's sort of like the worst star trek movies right which feel like yeah. a single star trek episode instead of like this sort of move massively with the characters that you care about those star trek beyond of the new star treks has got a real episodic feel and it's kind of great well i see it's in a, that's one i like the least really yeah okay uh, uh you know of the of the uh, of three, the new ones yeah, yeah. of the three I, I like it least because it has that feel uh, okay. i'm thinking of one of the next gen movies one where they crash the dish into the thing <clears throat> that's not generations it's, it's first contact it's well no no not not insurrection that's the name of it oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah one with uh, Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That's is that the one Tom Hardy? Yeah. Okay, yep. I'm thinking of it. Oh wait, no, that's Nemesis. Shit. Yeah, Insurrection is the one I think I'm thinking of. Okay, and it just it, it's good, but it it just feels like a two and a half hour episode of a science fiction television series. Okay, and this feels like a two and a half hour episode of a television it, and it feels like it's from the time work of the 60s so it does have very much that 60s campy uh since we have the batman influence that bill dozier kind of feel to it it's got that all going for it and it's not hitting very well because it also tries to do this very very serious kind of melodrama 
and was doing that on top of you know um, low rent CGI Jar Jar Binks on top of this again Gary Oldman I am the king of evil you know and that's like his line every other line when it's that kind of stuff it's just it's a mess and then it just becomes no fun at all and two and a half or two hours and seven minutes I think in the case of this film it's just north of two yeah and it's just it feels like two and a half it feels very long two and a half years in Siberia is what it feels like so um, yeah don't like it very much Um, none of us do that's our biases we are con but that doesn't mean we got things to say that doesn't mean we don't have a conversation that doesn't mean this movie's not meaningful oh no dear listener please stay tuned for that but before we get to that we'd like for you to have a conversation with us as well via those magical means of social media and dalton's gonna say that stuff i am going to do that now because dustin has told me to and nobody else wants to do this part and why would they hi uh you can find us on social media you don't have to social media is a bad place to be and uh, i cannot in good conscience advise anybody to be a part of it but uh, if you got to be, we're on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash to find out what we're up to, what we're watching, uh, what the conversation of the day in the world of film Twitter is, all that kind of fun stuff. If you're going to tweet out, tweet out. And if you're going to retweet, retweet. If you're going to subtweet, die in a fire. Yeah, don't subtweet. Don't, okay. be, don't be passive aggressive. Nobody likes that. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, we're on there. If you're going to tweet about the show, use the hashtag GTGC. That's a fun thing you can do. Uh, so we're on Twitter. Uh, if you don't want to be part of that nightmare, good for you. You don't have to be. There's other ways to be part of what we're doing. Uh, you can send us an email, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's long-form feedback just for this show. If you want to see everything we're doing uh, as part of Good Trash Media, that's just goodtrashmedia.com. You can find Arthur and Dustin's written content. I don't write anything because I'm bad at it um, and also uh, lazy. You, I have all kinds of other excuses. Uh, but you can find links to every episode that we've put out. Uh, well, the majority of them. I should say there's some back catalog that's not on the website. Sometimes. Uh, but you can also find the postings for The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, another show that's part of the Good Trash Media Network that we're very, very proud of. Uh, and again, all the written content we've ever made, all the shows that we used to make, uh, People's History of Film, the film syllabus, the cast knew too much, all kinds. And uh, also, of course, Dustin's uh, shows that he's working on right now, the Borgo cast, where he talks about Dracula, and uh, A Bad Feeling About This, the YouTube show he does with uh, his child, where they watch movies that, uh, you know, a child's got to see before they can be an adult. That's right. And I'll say they, those shows have been on a little bit of a hiatus a couple weeks. You've been busy. And it, yeah, there's been things there, happening. There's been a baby in your home. And, and you uh, also had to get my, my sister married. I did have to get her, get her married. And yeah. so um, as a result, though, um, there is some stuff coming down the pike, dear listeners. So if you were hoping and praying for more of that great content, uh, it is coming soon. So again, that's GoodTrashMedia.com for all that fun stuff. GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com for that long form feedback. If you want to contribute financially to the show, that's badass. And I can't imagine why you would want to do that honestly but it's very sweet of you you can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm for more info on how that whole thing works if you want to find out what you get for giving us money and uh you know how much money you can give us it's, it's totally your call uh last but certainly not least it is totally free to support this show all you have to do is rate and review on itunes uh you've listened to a podcast before you know what they ask you to do and uh yeah enjoy talking about movies with the people you care about that's really what we're most invested in so uh that's it we're done with that part of the show awesome you know what part of the show we're at now Ooh, my favorite part it's time to play the game it might feel good it might sound a little something but damn the game if it don't mean nothing what is game who got game where's the game in life behind the game behind the game i got game she got game we 
That's right, and we're back with this week's game, which is a 90s movies we'd like to see a movie reboot. Uh, yes? No. No? No. It's 90s TV shows we want to see made into a movie. Oh, did I say movies? You did. That's oh, okay. 90s TV shows we'd like to see a movie reboot. There we go. Of uh, which we would like to see. <clears throat> That's right. 90s television programs of which we'd like to see a movie reboot. Brought to you by Lost in Space. It's a movie reboot of a 60s television show, but it came out in the 90s, which is a decade we know better, so that's what we're doing. There you go. Um, that is a excellent justification for the slight, um, the, the, the uh, wobble the off the thing there that we just But did. yeah, that's what we're doing. Alright, well, hey, Dalton. Yeah. What's your number first pick? Well, my number first pick, I, w- I went with a real deep cut. Do you guys remember this, uh, this show called Historia? Anybody no. remember this? It's a portmanteau of hysteria and history. Uh, it was on, uh, WB. Is it? It was. No, well, yes, that is the <laughs> portmanteau. Well, look, I'm just making sure you are on the same page as me. You don't have to be an asshole. About it. <laughs> so anyway, I'm pretty sure it was from the same creatives that did uh, Animaniacs. It had a similar art style. They usually ran back to back. It was in the same block uh, as uh, as uh, Animaniacs and like Freakazoid. So we're talking like early, late 90s, early aughts WB's shit. This show was great. It was a animated sketch comedy show about history for children and it got weird and subversive and it just i, I can't ever find it online um i lied by the way it is actually just called hysteria they just spelled it more like history so just to be clear uh it ran until o2 um it, it's just the weirdest show if anybody can find it online i would i would love uh to know where you found it yeah 98 to o2 uh, here's a fun thing. It stood out as the most explicitly educational program in order to meet FCC requirements for educational informational content for children. And yet, it was weird. It was super weird. And I think the way to do it, you bring it into to cinemas. Uh, let's get even weirder. Let's get even darker. You, you do it almost uh, a heavy metal version of it. Uh, not heavy metal, the genre of music, but the weird 80s movie. Right. Uh Tell us uh, stories about serial killers. That's what millennials love. Uh, or uh, some of the darker moments in history that uh, people neglect to tell you about, uh, like how Wells Fargo has always been corrupt and it didn't just happen overnight. Um, so anyway, fun show, Hysteria. I-, I hope I'm not the only one who remembers this show. If you can find it online, it's a gem. Okay, so is it kind of like um, Drunk Histories in, in that it's just no, it's, it's a funny retelling? It's not even a Drunk History. It really is just um, showing you uh, historical moments, but uh, letting the humor that would have existed in those moments play out. Uh, if you've ever listened to The Dollop, it, it kind of is a little like that, honestly. Uh, the Dollop where uh, Dave Anthony and um, uh, Gareth Reynolds, uh, Dave Anthony reads a history story. Gareth Reynolds reacts comedically. Okay. It really is kind of like that. It's like you can see the writer's room. But with running Somebody tells the history story, and the writers are like, okay, how do we make this funny for kids? But again, it was funny in a way, in that same way that Animaniacs was, in a way that's very kind of anarchic and almost a little too, uh, not really made for children, but uh, nobody says fuck, so it's for kids. Okay. Yeah, it's it's that kind of funny. That's my standard as well. Yeah, it's good. All right, well, moving on, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your number first pick? 
Uh, my number one pick is uh, Erie, Indiana. <gasps> I forgot about Erie. Indiana. I don't know this show. You don't know Erie, Indiana. So I, Erie, Indiana. I'm going to look at you the way you looked at me while I was talking about hysteria. In Erie, Indiana. I know the show. Uh, and of course, it's Erie, Indiana. So everything is spooky. Awesome. Uh, and this kid uh, just rides around town on his bike, encountering weird, crazy nonsense in the town. Uh, like uh, the Tupperware family who uh, preserve themselves for decades in uh, human-sized Tupperware. What? And I believe uh, they forget to burp the Tupperware, so uh, they age out. Uh, right. So that's the uh, that's the kind of gimmick we've got going on here. But I'm picturing this very trick or treat style anthology film. That's yes. kind of what I was picturing. Uh, yeah, where the Max kid is just whatever or whatever his name was. I think just, it's Max. Yeah, uh, riding his back bike around uh, Erie, Indiana, encountering all kinds of wonky, crazy spookiness on the Halloween night. Wait, Max was the name of the kid in Erie, Indiana. I think. Oh, I think I thought I think Max is the name of the pumpkin kid in Trick or Treat too. I think it's it's Max. Yeah, interesting. I could be wrong about that. When do you remember like about when the show was on, Arthur? I have never heard of uh, this. 91, 92, 93, somewhere at that. Ninety one, ninety two. Okay. Oh, okay, it's a short run. Okay. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Yeah. His I'm... name is Marshall. It looks like. Okay. Yeah, I've never heard of this movie. Joe Dante worked as a director on it at some points. Ah, uh, okay. Um, that makes sense, based on what you've said so far yeah. about it. And then I believe... My phone would work. Yeah, uh, Gomez Adams, John Aston, uh worked oh, yeah. on it as well. Wow. He was like the town something or other pharmacist or wow. postman. He like he had a position in the town, and I think he was kind of a confidant and uh, wise, uh, wise old man to the protagonist. I love this. I love everything about it. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, kind of piqued my interest early for the spoopy and the weird, mm-hmm. uh, and I appreciated that about it. Um, they it had like the little book tie it, it, and stuff. It's very goosebumps yeah. sort of like level yeah. of horror too. Yeah, so that would be my first pick. Very cool, very cool. I like that pick a lot. Now, all of my picks, I want to say this about them is um, they are sort of like a backdoor pilots um, that I want to see these made as films and I want to see them made with new casts and all that sort of stuff. But I would also like to see them gone ahead and developed after the film drops into a television series. I think that would be... I actually have uh, a pick that's very similar to that, Dustin, so I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking that. Yeah, and, and I'm starting with because I think the movie you could make and the series you could make, um, because the series itself I think is an interesting premise and I think it's fun in its own way. But um, I, I, it's too sentimental, too schmaltzy, and you can get really weird with it, and that would be awesome. And that the, it begins in the '80s technically, but it runs most of its run in the 1990s. So I feel like I'm within my limits. It's Quantum Leap. Okay. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would like to see Quantum Leap. I, I think everybody thinks of Quantum Leap is a '90s show. I, would, I would yeah. hope so. You're not out of school on that one. And so Quantum Leap, uh, to bring it back and do this sort of like 12 Monkeys version of the film, where he's going back into parts of his own life and parts of his own history, trying to unravel this problem, and it just reveals again that he's in some sort of continuity loop at some point. Now, are we carrying film. on in your in your ideal version of this? Did we carry on continuity from the show, or is this a fresh start? This is a fresh start okay. as a full-out reboot but it's the same idea you know you've got the material you ball the string the string contacts itself on points and you're going back and forth within your own lifetime and you're jumping in and out of bodies i like that a lot as well and sometimes the body that you jump into can at times be your own i think that's fascinating as well and so you have about a three jump arc or whatever for the film i don't think you have dean uh, stockwell's character i don't think you have the sort of counselor and ziggy and that kind of thing although maybe you could do something like that but i'm really just thinking this is the thing and you've got to unravel this mystery so that you can get back home 
And I think that would be a very, very fun time traveling kind of movie. Sure, you could hit big pieces of history. And again, and then again, rebooting it this part of the future, uh, the way in which the Kennedy assassination played such a key role into it, 9 11 itself could be something that could be investigated, interrogated as well, I think, in a really interesting kind of way. And so I would love to see uh, a Quantum Leap film, boom, reboot, again, all the 12 monkeys, and then run into a, you know, sort of a, you know, moment of the week kind of television show yeah i think there's a lot there man especially the uh the ability for a show like that to to interrogate uh, recent history i think is super cool it'd be very fun so that is my number first pick moving on to number next to mr dalton stewart what's your number next pick well my number next pick is uh much like dustin's uh, quantum leap pick something i think uh a feature film is going to work as a great backdoor pilot uh for those of you not in the know uh, i don't know how common that phrase gets thrown around uh, backdoor pilots uh usually a tv movie um or you know a crossover episode or something where they're not quite uh fully saying that something is a pilot for a new show but they're seeing how the response goes over it's uh it's like that with uh when they introduced uh, csi miami is the best example i can think of when they had david caruso's character show up on csi original recipe that's a backdoor pilot and i, I like the idea I, it's it's interesting to me it hasn't started happening more I think that was the initial pitch for the Dark Tower uh, adaptation was to do a feature film and then do... And I think the moving parts of getting audiences from a theater to watching at home is part of the hang-up on that. Uh, so maybe TV movie like they did with the uh, the Battle of the Star Galactica reboot's the way to go. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, this is already in the works as a uh, dated TV series, and it is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which obviously started as a film originally in its first life. And that continuity is somewhat alluded to in the TV show that we all know and love and actually talked about on this very uh, podcast like six years ago now. Um, look, if you're not a new, if you are a new listener, uh, you should probably know about us, uh, or at least me. I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer a whole damn lot. And I'm, I'm excited about the reboot, uh, because we've all learned recently that, uh, you know, Joss Whedon's got his own demons and is not, uh, not, not, he, he fucks up a lot. He fucks up real bad a lot. Sometimes in his personal life, and sometimes in his screenplays. Uh, but but there's a lot there that doesn't quite work. And I I like the idea of the showrunner being a woman of color. I think that is somebody who's going to you know bring together a writers' room that's going to bring Buffy to uh, to the next generation. I think um you know millennials and Gen X got Buffy in its heyday, and that's awesome. But I think uh, I think the people that are like 12 through 15 right now could really use a uh, Look, the kids love the spoopers. They like the supernatural. They like them uh the vampire diaries. Is that what that show's called? I don't know. Yes. Okay. I Buffy's super good, man. And I think if you get a good team to bring it back, it could be really something special. Uh and I think uh, starting with the feature film's a way to do it, or even if it is a, a TV uh film, a you know, a feature length pilot. I think that is the way it's gonna work because it lets you lay the groundwork of this new character. Um, they're being super hush hush if this is a full reboot or a continuity continuation of some kind. Frankly, I'm fine with either. Uh, I think either is perfectly fine. I'm sure Sarah Michelle Geller would be totally game to come back. But uh, if it's a full blown continuity to reboot, I think that's fine too. It's not a big deal. I think it is an idea that worked so well in the 90s and uh, I think it can work again. And uh, I think uh, bringing in new voices, I mean, you look at the names. That worked on Buffy. Those are names that have gone on to work on some big damn projects. Drew Goddard, for one. Uh, Marty Oxen. I mean, just I don't need to list the people who worked on Buffy and Angel. It's it's an insane murderer's row of talented writers, and I think uh, a new generation of writers could really do something special uh, because uh, 
Look, emotions don't change, but the uh, problems of the day do, and that's what Buffy did so well. So that is my number second pick, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your number next pick? Look, my childhood was defined by three things. Goosebumps, Ninja Turtles, and Power Rangers, and anything adjacent into those uh, properties. Uh, so much like Erie, Indiana, my next pick is a playoff of one of those popular franchises, and that is VR Troopers. Uh one of the Fox okay. action series that capitalized off the popularity of the Power Rangers. I almost went with Beetleborg, but I think that's a little too campy. I'm going to go with VR Troopers. I think we live in a world where I VR remember technology. both of those shows. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also another one called Mantis, I think. I just remember he had a really cool costume. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was a weird time in the 90s. VR Troopers, though, I think you can play with it. You have Power Rangers type setup, uh, but you can do a lot of fun stuff with special effects, CGI, and really playing into that VR element. If you want to get real experimental with it, you can incorporate VR technology into the film. Uh, you know, Alejandro Inarritu has done some of that stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. I think we're not that far off from full-on VR films and that being the next step in uh, uh, cinema gimmicks. Um, and so uh, I'm there for it. I'm going to go with VR Troopers as my next pick. VR Troopers. Alrighty. Well, my number next pick is a science fiction series um, that would be very much like your Lost in Space, except for they're not lost. They're in one location the whole time. I have talked about my Stuck love. Stuck in Space. Stuck in Space. Um, that is what we're going to call it. Um, or Babylon 5. Um, Babylon 5 has a handful of TV out. movies, and they've got um, really, really poor um, you know, effects. In fact, I thought about Babylon 5 a lot while watching this particular uh, movie um, Lost in Space because the CGI is about as wonky, except for with tons more money, which is kind of sad. But nonetheless, um, Babylon 5, I think, is a really great, interesting, Lord of the Rings-esque kind of narrative. And uh, it, if you did it right, if you if you budgeted it properly, if you promoted it properly, if you cast it properly, it could be a big, massive sort of uh, you know setup to be a blockbuster type franchise. It could do that kind of thing in a three part again Lord of the Rings esque sort of series in which you have that rising conflict, and of course you could play with it and do different things with it, um, as opposed to five seasons of. Uh, the whole thing, and of course, then you move out the sort of monster of the week, sort of event of the week stuff that went on throughout the series. But I think it would lend itself really, really well to that sort of, again, trilogy form of storytelling. And I would love to see me some Babylon 5 movies, and of course, then for them to spin off into the sort of adventures of the week, you know, in the sort of, you know, Dodge City of space that is Babylon 5 as a Western. So that is my number next pick. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your number last pick? My number last pick is a, a TV series that was one of my very first brushes with horror uh, and might have been the thing that stopped me from getting really into horror until a little bit later in life because it uh, donked me up real bad as a kid, and that's Tales from the Crypt, uh, mm. which, in hindsight, is a great show, man. And uh, yes. it's frankly shocking as many properties have that uh, are being revived right now. It, it's weird that they haven't tapped that one. I, I wonder if there's a rights issue or something because... Uh, horror, especially anthology horror, is in high demand right now. I mean, uh, friggin', you got your Black Mirrors, you got your American Horror Stories. Is It is uh, a hot commodity. People like a horror story. They like a little long, but they want it, you know, they want it finalized. They want it bookended. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the thing that really helps uh, Tales from the Crypt really stand out in that pack, because again, this is this is a, a mode of television storytelling that goes back to, you know, the Twilight Zone, obviously. And there's other pretenders to the throne. I mean, at the same time that Tales from the Crypt is on the air, you had 
a Twilight Zone reboot, and an Outer Limits reboot. But I think the thing that really sets Tales from the Crypt apart is, number one, you got that spooky host. Give me that weird puppet. Yeah. Don't make him CGI. Give me a gross puppet. Give me that comedic relief. And I think that really grim sense of humor is such a big selling point for what made that series work. But I think the other thing is there's a certain morality to horror, and we've talked about that a lot on the show. You know, what makes horror work is uh, when the protagonist is kind of an unlikable person that you were seeing be punished for an ill deed. Uh, That's something that Stephen King plays around with quite a bit. Uh, but it's something that I think we've lost a little in horror. I don't know that we get it enough. I, I like uh, I like horror as a punishment because um, you make me like the protagonists too much. I want a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Don't make me like them so much that I'm going to be pissed off at you when you uh, damn my protagonists. That's the thing that's frustrating about some uh, Black Mirror episodes is um, sending some really interesting and likable characters to digital hell can be really frustrating on right. that show. I think that's what worked about uh, Tales from the Crypt is basically every person on that show, every protagonist was uh, an unrepentant 90s douchebag and got their their fair comeuppance. And uh, I think that's a big part of what works about that show. And again, look, we're rebooting every dang thing. Let's uh, let's get up in there. Let's get some uh, get an anthology movie going. When was the last time we had a great anthology movie? Trick or Treat probably was the last one I can think of. We mentioned it earlier in this episode, and that's been, God, almost 15 years at this point. Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion on that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't think of another one other VHS. than Trick or Treat. Ooh, yeah, okay. VHS was good. VHS, I, I like both of the, the first two. I've heard the third one's not so much. But uh, at any rate, I, I, I feel like it's an untapped uh, revival. Let's do it. All righty. Well, there you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say for your number last pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon? I want John Favreau's Biker Mice from Mars. Uh, give it to me. I want John Favreau. I want some... Uh, what is Biker w- Mice w- from Mars? What are you talking about? Come on, you two. Buddy, Bi- you know some deep cuts of 90s television. Biker Mice from Mars? Yeah, they're space alien okay, motorcycle you- riding... Mo- you, you, mice. Explain more. They're to like me. six foot tall. Oh my god! Imagine like three Vin Diesels, but they're all mice, and one has a metal plate over his eye, kind of like a pirate. I, I'm in love. Okay. I okay. want biker mice from Mars. There's like three personalities: the tough guy, the goofy one. You know, it's the Ninja Turtles dynamic. Yeah, it's the Street Sharks. Yeah, Ninja Turtles. Essentially, yes. yeah. Buff uh, anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, and that whole and like uh, the the bad guy's name was Lindberger. Oh my right. god, he was. Oh. oh my god, of course it was. Wait. I may have seen an episode of this. Oh my god, the 90s were insane. They no, were. Hey, no a... wonder everybody's into furries. Look, uh, the 90s were full of sexy humanoid animals. Look, I, I, I want Favreau to tackle this because you need somebody who is very efficient with CGI and knows how to work in the medium. Because I want CGI mice. I want a couple of rocket raccoons walking around, right? Yeah. Um, and then I want Chris Pratt, I want Vin Diesel, and I need somebody else to voice the third. I don't know who. But that's a strong cast to start yeah. with, I think. All right. But yeah, it's just it's an action movie about giant CGI mice riding uh, motorcycles. Did you say Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the Heck yeah. You Let's know, do it. There you I go. I think we got through. Ooh, you know what? Him and, Vin, him and Vin, I don't know. John Goodman's Lindberger, right? <sighs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm that's sold. how it works. Yeah. This show I'm is in... nuts. What? Yeah. That is a thing. I'm really mad at myself that... Uh, in hindsight, thinking about some of the the great cartoons of the '90s, really should have brought in Captain Planet in here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it's a missed opportunity on my part. Sorry um, about that, everybody. It's okay. Here's the thing. So, on the topic of Street Sharks and Vin Diesel, uh, when I went to the Alma Draft House to see the Meg, uh-huh. right? They were doing their pre reel and they yeah. were doing like the greatest shark battles in history. They did yeah. a deep cut, and they were like, 
Here's one of Jason Statham's co-hosts, or co-stars from the Fast and the Furious franchise, Vin Diesel. It's got to be like an early 90s. I don't know what it is. It's early 90s. It's Vin Diesel. It's some sort of promotional thing where he's playing with Street Sharks action figures and showing off all their different features. And he's got to be like, what, 16 at the most? He's young, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know what it was, but it was hilarious. Huh. Well, I know what I'm doing when we get done recording this episode. I'm finding that damn cartoon. Uh, Dustin, bring us home. What's your number last pick? I am making an audible change. I was thinking, and it's, it's sort of an obvious pick, uh, you know, do something with the X-Files because, you know, the X-Files is good and interesting. I think you could reboot it with less glut. But um, I'm not going to do that. I am going to go in the world of animated television from the 1990s. Bring it on. Hit it. Gargoyles. Gargoyles oh, yeah. was Money. the business. Money. Yeah. Ugh. Let's, let's, yeah. Ugh. Live action yep. gargoyles yep. movie. You the know. show was bonkers. It I'm was bonkers. Disney hasn't dug into that well yet. I know, right? I mean, is it a Disney property? Okay, yeah. that I actually didn't know. Uh, but it's yeah. hiding in the vault. But yeah, let's bring back that and uh, do that movie. I there think. was a uh, preschool block before I'd go to school in the morning. They'd run Aladdin, the TV series. Aladdin, oh, I remember. Back to back with gargoyles in the morning. <sighs> yeah, uh, I'm thinking Guillermo del Toro. Look, that's... Yeah. I mean... I think you got it in one, dude. Yeah, Del Toro's Gargoyles. That's what I want to see. Gu- Guillermo Del Toro presents, you know, and like he can make the movie first and then presents the series Gargoyles. Look, I know this is some real old guy shit to say, but 90s cartoons were good. They were. It was a golden era. Hey, those X-Men cartoons, I watched an episode of those the other day, and I was like, this stuff holds up as far as I'm concerned. Not bad. The X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, the animated series. Oh, Batman is just an elite. Another level. Yeah, yeah, Batman's yeah. an elite of its own, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there were some good cuts. It's it's nuts, and I again I know every generation thinks the the toys they had as kids were the best toys, but damn, it's hard to argue with that. Although you know what, credit where credits due, Steven Universe has good damn television. Yeah, I mean He Man had good co- good toys. Yeah. Of the universe. So, yeah, so there is that. But... They they hadn't quite uh, threaded that needle of making the cartoon that's promoting your toys good. Yeah, that was a problem. It was just like, yeah, hey, had... we have a toy, let's make a cartoon. Yeah, which was probably the reverse. I also almost went with the Mystic Knights of Tiernanog. What, what the, the shit? Which was a uh, a midi- imagine medieval Power Rangers. Okay. Okay. Here you go. Yeah, hit me with that. Like visionaries. Oh my god. Like visionaries wow. was like that, right? I, maybe I don't know. Yeah, they had like the, the the toy had the hologram on their chest, and they had a hologram like standard. Oh, yeah. Arthur, and they could turn into like a lion or a bear or whatever. You were showing me some stuff tonight, Arthur. Arthur, uh, Dustin, while you were giving us your gargoyles pick, showed me a screen grab from Biker Mice from Mars. Them biker mice are sexy. Are they? They're, they? There's one with a metal arm. Uh huh. Yeah, it's they're too hot. I I think I might have seen an episode of that. I mean, I, my memory is like this is. I've never heard of that this. addled '90s stew of Beavis and Butthead and other things that I I remember. I think it's in there somewhere. I've, yeah, that's a complete black hole for me. So this was a weird game. The '90s were weird, and they produced a weird film. And yet, this this was a fun game. I, I want to see these movies now. I don't know that any of them are going to turn out very well. Are you familiar with Masked Rider? This mm-hmm. is the guy I was referencing Masked earlier. Masked Rider. What the... Sh- Arthur... Okay. Okay. Look, this is, look I know this is thoughts. a very visual episode listener, but you, you just <laughs> Google... I, I hope you're... Don't do it if you're driving and listening to this episode, but if you happen to be like at work or whatever, take a moment to, to Google some of the stuff we've been talking about. This is... This is some buckwild stuff Arthur was watching that I did not Look, know about. After Power Rangers took off, Fox threw everything they could at the wall. Man. They tried to capitalize off of that. And as I was much watching a lot of Mighty Morphin. I don't know. Any Are you familiar with Beetleborgs? Oh, I remember Beetleborgs. Okay, yeah. I do remember Beetleborgs. And of course, look, yeah, Street Sharks. I remember co- a couple of the weird 90s deep cuts. Do you remember 
Oh, I can't remember the name of the show. It's not important. Let's move on. Biker Mice might have been on UPN. It might not have been on Fox. That might be why it was. Yeah. Uh, and I did get UPN on I, d- I did the uh, back in the day. The UPN WB back and forth on Saturday mornings. That was my bread and butter. Yeah. Well, I. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. The, ni- the 90s were weird. And uh, let's. What are you a wow? Let's break it open. Just, just man, this conversation. I'm just amazed. This is a good yeah. time. No, I'm, uh, I'm glad. To, what was. Did anybody have anything that. Look, I. We're going to try to analyze this movie really hard Hang here on. in a second. Are you oh. guys familiar with Mantis? What? Hang no, on. I am not. Let me see if I can pull it up. I just had it pulled up. Okay. Um, let me go Hit back me. One more. Hit me. Um, okay, Mantis. Uh, it's a, an anagram. It's M-A-N-T-I-S. Oh, my God. All right, this was a sci-fi show. I think it was in prime time on Fox. Holy shit. Okay. Um, a wealthy, mild-mannered doctor, Miles Hawkins, is shot in the spine during a riot, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Uh he uses his company's resources to invent a powered exoskeleton that not only enables him to walk, but gives him superhuman abilities in the process. And, uh, yeah, here's just this a little, is, here's a poster. Show me this poster. This is nuts. How have I never heard of this, though? Yeah, this was like prime time. Oh, I don't remember this God. at all. This is like the cape. This is this is a show that only Arthur remembers, and it, oh my god! Do you guys remember Ah Real Monsters? Oh hell yeah! Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. knows All Real Monsters. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, if it's got a Funko line, everybody knows it. Uh, that's probably yeah. Fair. But Mantis, that's a that's a deep cut. Look, I watched a lot of TV. I watched a lot of Fox. Clearly, yeah, you and Fox were on a first name basis. You've all seen the PJs, I assume. Uh, what your pajamas? The projects, the car, the the stop motion cartoon, the projects. Oh my God! Arthur is just a fount of knowledge tonight. Oh my gosh! This is an untapped resource. We're gonna have to think yeah. about future episodes. Arthur, you were this is on Hulu. Okay. How did you not? Because this is man. I was watching. Uh... This is Eddie Murphy, Loretta Devine, Holy uh, Janet shit. Dubois. Um, I don't know how you don't know this one. I don't know. Oh my God! I've never seen. Oh any... shit! Actually, no. I think I. Okay. I've never actually seen this, but I am aware of this. It kind of runs okay. together with Bebe's kids in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I've seen this image before. Okay. I've never seen it. Is it good? I don't remember. Oh, okay. It's on Hulu, though, Ti- so you can find out yourself. Time to find out. Uh, I just started rewatching it's King... It's a stop-motion Eddie Murphy cartoon. What do you want? I want it to be good. I just started rewatching King of the Hill, speaking of the 90s and Hulu. Damn, it holds up real well. I'm very excited to uh, tackle that. We're almost through Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <sighs> I think that's next up. Well, enough. We've, we've been stalling. Yeah, enough of this foreplay. I think it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business. Time. And we are back with analysis of. Uh, we've got seven minutes of show left. Let's uh, let's go through this quick. We are not going to shortchange our dear listeners. Look, it was important to do the legwork of establishing. Just how fucking weird the '90s were. It was, and that's it, true. And it was it very was fun. Time. It's yeah, it's a weird decade. Look, if I know, I'm literally the thousandth person to say 9/11 changed everything, but it changed movies. Movies were dumber. Movies were way stupider. Yeah, it a- forced big budget Hollywood productions to get a little bit smarter. Well, and I think the '90s is a particular time period. Maybe the 1950s might set up against it in terms of. Uh, there's the technical prowess when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah. That it was in this weird transitional moment. There's a revolution that follows it. And because of that revolution that follows, what happens before that is really dated in a really kind of ugly way. And I don't, you know what? I take it back. I take it back from the 50s because they've got that great, you know, rear projection uh, stuff that's working. And it, I don't think rear projection 
takes you out. I think it's like the highlight of that particular mode of technology. But it's a moment like the late fifties and the early sixties where it gets gimmicky mm-hmm. instead of and and that's that is one of the first things I feel in the use of CGI. Um, I was thinking as I watched this movie, and I didn't do any research to look this up, um, but famously a year later, Star Wars Episode One drops. And uh, Jar Jar Binks is, and I've been naming him all the time because I have been thinking about this, is the sort of first fully integrated CGI character in a film. And I'm going, you know what? No, I think Blarp beats him. Yeah. And Blarp looks terrible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I guess there is a thing about, you know, what, what makes film evergreen in terms of effects? That's That's really the question I'm asking. Does it have to be super duper believable? How well do they have to hold up? Is there a way in which uh, you can sort of give movies a pass for their time? Because I feel like the 90s is a time that's pretty unforgiving in terms of giving that pass. Perhaps unique in filmmaking in that sense. I think you make a very strong point. uh, Because I think with rear projection, and and maybe we will get there with the 90s, right? Because you go back and watch a movie from the 50s. Somebody's in a car or on a boat or on a mountain, whatever, and you can tell the backdrop behind them is rear-projected. And it kind of is part of the language of watching a film from the 50s, right? You just kind of familiarize yourself with this is the technology they have, this is what it looks like when you see a scene like this in the 50s. And maybe we will get there with the 90s. Uh, I think it's so it's so recent. You know, it's still a lifetime away. People who were growing up in the 90s are making their own films now. People who were taking children to see movies in the 90s are still going to the movies. So I think that's a big part of it. I think when we are elderly, I think it's going to be our kids and our grandkids who are able to maybe watch this film from the 90s and not be quite as distracted by bad CGI because they're like, well, that's just part of watching the film from the 90s. But I I think the shelf life is so much worse because the ceiling on rear projection is pretty low. The ceiling on CGI is, at this point, untapped. We haven't hit it yet. I don't think we have hit the pinnacle of James Cameron keeps insisting he's going to and... uh, well, we'll see if uh, he... I don't fought. doubt the man. Power, uh, yeah, power to you, buddy. Look, everybody doubts him, and every movie makes a billion dollars. There's actually a really great article I just read about uh, his... I think it was on IndieWire, about just yeah. like how fucking dumb his career is. It's just Every movie he's ever made is like... It seems like the, the worst bet anyone's ever placed, and it pays out big time. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, I think the shelf life on CGI is just so much worse because we keep getting so much better at it. I mean... Lost in Space 2, pick literally any big CGI fest that came out in 2018. Let's just go with Infinity War. We talked about last week, but I feel like that movie is mostly visual effect shots. Sure. So, and again, we're talking an astronomical difference in budget, sure. I mean, that, that's like a $200 million movie. Nobody made movies that expensive in 1998. But Lost in Space, an $80 million budget, that's a lot of money in 98 dollars. Movies, that's an expensive 98 movie. $80 million now is a pretty low-budget, you know, it's not a tentpole movie. It's still a studio flick, but, you know, you're not betting the house on it. And I think that that gigantic surge in dollars being thrown at CGI is going to hit a tipping point at at a certain point, and I don't think rear projection ever hit that. So I I think there's a lot of chips we got to see where they land before we know with that, Dustin. But uh, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, Arthur, do you feel like th- there's a point where, you know, the, where that uncanny valley is forgivable? And like, do you do you think of a, a place where there's like an unforgivable threshold? I because we hate Blarp, but, you know, we like uh, the T-1000 and well, five years say, earlier. I, I don't 
think T2 has aged as poorly as it, Lost in Space. It, it absolutely has not, no. Uh, the Cameron's work with the effects in that film are on another level. I mean, the guy's not joking around. Zemeckis and Forrest Gump. I mean, malign the film if you want. It still looks but, great. Or even Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right, in the 80s, the stuff he's doing there. With the right. hand animation, yeah. Which yeah. is a different kind of effect, but yeah. yeah. But uh, just, but I think it plays into that rear projection thing, right? I mean, it's that of the time, the '80s. This is the best they could do, and guess what? He did it and knocked it out of the park. Well, it's it's really that like, it it is kind of interesting in the evolution of going from rear projection to yeah. CGI. It's kind of that you know they're still doing the oh, what's it called? Well, uh, I mean, tracing. I can't think of what I'm, rotoscoping. Yeah. Well, yeah. there is a mid but, '80s, you know, sort of thing that you know the the drawn on animation that's going on a lot. You know, the, the rotoscoping. Of, yeah. Well, rotoscoping. Well, even like I'm thinking like the lightsaber stuff, where you just yeah. after after you get done uh, filming something with a reflective tape, you go back over basically the celluloid itself and the milieu thing, and, and you yeah. color on top of it. And right? it's, it really is. I think Roger Rabbit is a good one to bring up, though Arthur. You're right because it is kind of that weird like it's it's. Again, five years later, it's CGI. But let me uh, let me bring it more recent. We'll talk about a movie I love. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's uh, Speed Racer, right? I mean, this is a movie that hasn't aged well. The effects in that film haven't aged well, uh, but there's still a lot of ambition, still a lot of heart to that film. So I, I, I think it's case by case, and I think it's just uh, you have to look at the film on its own, what it's trying to do. Is it too much of a distraction here? It just feels the character itself is unnecessary. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the CGI just really adds to that distraction to pull you out of the film. Even, little spoiler alert, Spider-Smith, right? I mean, he looks probably a little better than, than Blarp does, but still... It, he looks very much like, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Frank Langella in Masters of the Universe. Made yeah. me think a lot of Lawnmower Man, actually. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Gave me Lawnmower Man vibes. But I, I think for me, when, when you're dealing with the effects thing and, and you know, is it looking back and is it something you malign or is it something you just kind of ignore i think it just depends on if it's a distraction mm -hmm. if it takes away from what the movie's trying to do uh and, and most of it's hindsight i mean in the moment it's hard i mean and, and that's the weird thing about film criticism on its you know you, you, you can look at a movie in the now and say well, this is a masterpiece you know groundbreaking effects from 20 years from now I'm like god that was a thing i i wonder i i think something you were hitting on a little bit there arthur that made me have a thought. I wonder, especially with Speed Racer, it is supposed to be a cartoony story that they're telling. It is a larger-than-life story. And I think in Lost in Space, they are trying to tell a grounded story. Uh, and when the effects break that illusion, it's a lot harder to forgive it. With with uh, Speed Racer, you don't care, right? You don't yeah. care that it's clearly a Hot Wheels track. Right. It doesn't matter. because you're that's Fits the tone of the film. Exactly. And I think tonally with Lost in Space... When you've got these spiders that are supposed to be scary that are very clearly not there, it just it, it robs a moment like that of its momentum entirely. And I do also feel like there's like a weird industrial standard at work in the 90s mm -hmm. where they know CGI is the next thing, mm -hmm. but it's not there yet. And they sort of just insist on trying with it to kind of keep trying with it to keep. And, and there's a way in which uh, the production usage of those kinds of effects are a means by which they can push those technologies further. And uh, so it seems to me that sometimes like New Line or Warner Brothers or whomever are getting behind use of those effects, not because they think it's all that impressive now, but uh, it, it feels almost like an investment. And that's part of why we have so many wonky movies. Because, I mean, rear projection, I can't think of a bad rear projection. 
You know, I mean, I'm sure there are some where the line's more clear and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, but I can't it, think of any off the top of my head. But, I mean, as far as using that technology, they've got it nailed. Well, I right? was watching um, a Friendly Persuasion, a Gregory Peck movie, uh, mm-hmm. him and Anthony Perkins. Good cast. Um, just last night, a lot of rear projection in that movie. A lot of horses and carriages scenes, uh, a lot of rear projection. It looks great, and it's full-color rear projection, which is honestly a lot harder. Yes. Um, and it still looked great, and you actually kind of had to squint. I mean, there were moments where I was like, wait a second, is that a rear projection? And right. that's an effect that I think is kind of easy to hide sometimes if you're doing it well. I think you you can never fully hide a CGI effect. You know, you always know that Josh Brolin's not giant and purple. Uh, it, it's how well can you integrate that effect into yeah. into the picture because you'll never be able to fully hide it. And I think that's maybe where the 90s fail so often is they're not... they. They haven't figured out yet that you can't hide it. Because just a few years later, I mean, literally in production at the same time, going into early pre-production, you've got Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And that's a film that does a really great job of integrating uh, practical and CGI effects. And again, er, er, not that advanced. I mean, we're talking late 90s, early 2000s when those films are in production. So it's totally a mixed bag, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the first thing is sort of like periodization, just sort of, you know, framing. Because, I mean, that is one of the things that we talk about taking us out of the movie, you know, not just the blurb character, but also the big sort of space battles and those kind of things. Are I think the opening one looks a lot it looks better, though. the best of all of the things that yeah. you see. I mean, once they uh, launch the Jupiter up the second time after they've gone into space for the initial battle, and they from that point on, all the space shots are equally just garbage. I, I really do wonder, as Arthur pointed out, I think it is they spent a whole lot of money on those early effects and realized it was taking much more time and money than they had anticipated. They I, made think, that I think Arthur's right on the money that they literally spent all their money on the first 30 minutes of the movie. They made that Wachowski bet. He said, we're just going to make the first 10 minutes. Okay, now you're going to get, no, you're just going to have to still work with this. <laughs> you got to you got to stretch that budget out sometimes, man. You can't, ooh. You notice it more in TV shows a lot, I think, but sometimes in a movie, they're just, somebody, you know, a UPM, there's a unit production manager who needs to get yelled at, or you know, somebody was not keeping an eye on the, the bottom dollar, I think is what happened. Well, the next thing I think we ought to talk about then in terms of just thematic sort of uh, ways in which this film is trying to engage with contemporary politics of its moment and of our moment even now. And already Captain Planet has reared his head in our conversation. Um, There's a clear environmentalist vein there. And so here we are 20 years after this film was released. And so about 40 years from when it's set. About Still. forty years from when it's set, yeah. and so where are we? What are we doing? What is, what are we what are we seeing here in this? Goo <laughs> is my answer. Well, I was just going to say I, I think it's part of that, you know, as far as where the film is narratively, and in the late nineties, I think that was kind of the the big issue, you know, of the day. Yeah, the nineties so, cared about the environment a lot more in its cinema and, scene, and the kind of the end of the world. You know, we talked about Armageddon last week. Uh, in this time period, the ninety eight, ninety nine, we were really kind of heading into a you know what's on the horizon. The year two thousand, right around the corner, everybody's about to start losing their mind. Uh, and I think there's this real sense of foreboding. You know, we've talked about that in- existential dread of the of the late nineties and and what that led to. And so I I think uh, it kind of definitely fits into that uh, thematic mold of the late nineties as far as its its themes. The sort of apocalypticism yeah. of it. I I think you're absolutely right there, Arthur. I, and Dustin, you make a good point that uh, well, you you both have made it that the nineties brought it up a lot more. I mean, yeah. yeah, we've got day after tomorrow and what oh six or whenever that something like that. Yeah, yeah whenever that film was released, but. 
it's not alone. I mean, Lost in Space is not the only 90s movie that brings it up. I mean, you've even got a, a, a damn Steven Seagal movie. Uh, I think it's Fire Down Below. Is Fire Down one? Below, the Alaska one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a hot topic, and I think... Uh, yeah, you got Medicine Man with uh, Sean Connery. Yeah. You've got, yeah, I mean, we could go on. There's a bunch. Burn Gully itself, yeah. right? Small budget, low budget, everything in the middle. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the, the topic du jour, and again, I already mentioned it, but... Uh, then a then a thing happened uh, called the nine eleven, and I think it changed Hollywood's priorities. It changed uh, what was on. Uh, it changed the pulse, and Hollywood is nothing if not an industry that is always trying to have its finger on the pulse the best it can. Um, look, Hollywood filmmaking is never subversive. It just can't be. It tries sometimes. It gets close, but it, it never really can fully do it. Um, I think the closest you'll get is, uh, you know, some of the films of the last two years that people have tried to review bomb. Uh, that's the closest you can get to Hollywood film being subversive is when they actively have, uh, you know, people on the internet trying to tank uh, a movie's uh, opening weekend. But at the end of the day, it's still part of a giant multi-billion dollar, uh, multi multinational company, right? It can only be so subversive. Um, and when people are talking about the internet, the environment, they're not doing it because they have an agenda. They're doing it because they know people care about it. People don't care about the environment. Hollywood's not going to mention it. It's irrelevant, right? I mean, I think there's a little bit of that there. I think there's a shift in the consciousness from what are we doing to ourselves in the late nineties to we found a new existential threat. We, uh, it's, it's not other superpowers. Now it's, uh, the people who have been crushed in the wake of the building of superpowers and, how does that vacuum that's been created worldwide come back and impact the people living in those larger nations? And I agree with you entirely, but yet and still, there's okay. another aspect in the film that is interesting because it does it does lead bring us up terrorism. This idea of the the what the sedition group, the global sedition, or something like okay, that. You name your guys the bad guys. I mean, that's like sedition itself is a crime, and so yes. we're, we're calling our team team criminal. Yeah, you know, it's so, kind of a badass move, honestly. Well, because we you know we're evil. From it's the an university e- of evil. It, we our mustachios. It, it is the most '90s depiction of terrorism. Absolutely right. It's it. That was one of my first thoughts. Was uh, just the entire conversation that um, Jeb and uh, Major West are having as they're flying around. The the dialogue about the, the very brief exposition you're getting about the goals of the bad guys in the first 20 minutes of the movie. What are their goals again? Um, get to Alpha Prime first. And honestly, <laughs> I don't blame them. The, space race. Literally, all they want to do. Is go colonize the planet without the government? Uh, Doesn't sound so bad now, does it? Yeah, I'm. So I'm saying libertarians? Question mark. Uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, libertarians or anarchists? One of the two. Yeah. Uh, the, Depending on the day of the week. Yeah. Well, they're they're well, evil libertarians. They're evil. They have to be. Yeah. Well, we have to throw um, the mustache now. Never mind. Well, I was going to make a joke about libertarians sucking, but one. I'm, I'm not here to dunk on people. I'm just here to talk about movies. Uh, it it is nebulous and we don't know and i think that is you know even in science fiction films post 911 the sci-fi terrorism is drawn out from our knowledge of terrorism as it exists in our current society i don't think america was thinking about it a whole lot it wasn't our problem yet it was yeah. israel's problem it well, was it was other places problem and of course ours. the major act of terror of the 1990s is the murrah building bombing yeah. in oklahoma well, city of of that America was uh, subject to, yeah. for sure. I mean, well, there's plenty of other shit getting blown sure. up in other parts of the world. But in terms in of what would influence American filmmaking. And so yeah. in this case, it is sort of a homegrown group. Yeah. Um, that are separatists. Of, separatists of some sort that are nondescript, you yeah. know, in many senses. So, yeah, 
that's I think part of you know so that there is some interest in that, but it's not the same kind of interest that you would see in a two thousand one film. Well, and then again, I mean, other than the basic setup, the environmental angle is dropped very quickly because yeah. we don't have time for that. We got to fight space spiders and go through time bubbles. Right. We Good. don't have time to think about why we actually launched this mission in the first place. And when John Hurt goes through the shimmer, it gets really, really weird, really fast. He does, in fact, go through a shimmer. Man, everything comes full circle. It's, it's a thing. So, okay, well, let's move on then. Um, let's talk about gender because I think we should. Well, we gotta. Okay, so. This week, the role of eye candy is played by Heather Graham. Hey, you know what? The movie I, brought it up, not us. I have a set of observations about this, but I want to hear what you guys have to say first. If if not, I mean, what, I mean, it 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 is what it is. The male gaze. It is the patriarchy. It is. Uh, she is used for uh, sex appeal, and uh, we don't really. I mean, Mimi Rogers uh, doesn't get to do much either, and neither does. Uh, I mean, Penelope or Penny. Penny, Penny yeah, as it gets to be quirky and fun. But well, I think uh, the movie is, you know, gross as it is in some respects. I think it has enough wisdom, uh, the screenplay and the direction, and at all. I think there's enough wisdom that it's not going to sexualize a teenager, and so because it Good can't call. sexualize Penny, it goes well. We actually have to make her a character. Um, and her character is angsty teen. Um, that angsty teen could have been gendered one way or the other. It would have been similar things. Yeah. If it had been yeah. a boy, it still would have been, I'm mad about all, not kissing. And yeah. I mean, it, it literally, that is the character. You're sending me somewhere without girls. That's the yeah. least gendered character in a way that's kind of refreshing, honestly. I think, Penny, look, I've talked about this, I think, on People's History. When I was eight years old, one of my first movie crushes is Penny and Lost in Space. And it was refreshing to get to watch Checked this out. movie and go, well, it does I know, check out. thank you, I know, I'm very on brand. But it was refreshing to go, oh shit, this is actually kind of a good character. Uh, her and Will are the only good characters in this movie, honestly. They're the only characters giving inner, given inner life and given goals and wants and dreams. No, We don't really know anything about, about Mom Robinson or Dad Robinson. We sure as hell don't know anything about Sister Robinson. And all we know about Don West is that, you know, dude wants... Dude, she gets gotta, reverse iceboxed. Oh man, yeah, she does. You're right. The whole, well, all the girls do. All the all the girls die. Yeah, yeah, and then the time loop. But uh, you're you're right, Arthur. What is there to say about it? Uh, Heather Graham's character gets short shrift the same way that women do well, you know, often in Hollywood movies. And did you notice the costuming is uniform for every character, but Heather Graham's character, she wears red. Oh just, damn! I'm just saying. You were absolutely right. Hmm. Everybody else yeah. is wearing spaceship tones. Yeah, yep. and, and and she's wearing red because that's very interesting. That's what we're supposed to be doing right there. I, I, the line "This one is on credit" is an all-time stupid line. It is dumb. It is an all-time dumb line before movie kiss, and we are given no reason to th- that she would find uh, Matt LeBlanc's character sexually attractive, other than she's realized he's right. She's going to be stuck in space for potentially the rest of her life, and she might as well grab the, the only guy that's not evil or related to her. Well, and here's the other thing. I think the overall sexuality of the film is very heteronormative. And here's my little theory here. Hit okay. So we got, of course, Mr. and Mrs. Um, Mom Robinson. And Mom, yep. and, Mom and Dad Robinson. They're a couple. Yep. We've got the potential love interest, you know, unification of a couple of Matt LeBlanc's character and uh, Judy. Um, and so Heather Graham. Heather yep. Graham. And so is, it, is it Judy Robinson? Is Judy that? Robinson. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember the character name. So, so we have that. And then we've got the two pre-sexualized children. We've got Will and we've got um, Penny. Penny ends up being friends with a female monkey. Yep. Right? Uh, you know, and then um, Will ends up making besties with a male 
half-caste robot, right? Okay. A male-gendered robot. And so there's a way in which your partnerships are pre-sexual, they are within your gender, and then your partnerships, you know, skive off into, um, you know, opposite gender. And then the one degendered, unrelated person in the whole thing is our queer character, it's Gary Oldman. And he's the villain. And so the lack of relationship is part of what's going on, except for when he becomes an old person and he mutates, and then he's got a male-male relationship with an adult that is incestuous, insidious, and evil. Damn, dude, you just hit on it. Whoa! And you're right, because the, the, the queer villain or the gay villain is much more obviously coded most of the time, right? Yes. It's usually right in your face. Man, this is a trope that goes way, way back to, like, I mean, the 40s, the 30s. You right. can take it all the way back to... Shakespeare, honestly. Probably, yeah. Um, but you're right. It's totally there. Yeah. And it's usually much more uh, explicit than that. But Go- Gary Oldman's performance is uh, mustache twirly in a way that doesn't read o- overtly uh, queer or feminized. It just is kind of asexual and a- it's just evil. Mm-hmm. It-, it is ev- er evil that does not need companionship of any kind. And the only person that would do that is an evil but yeah wow damn you hit on something dustin i like that that's an interesting reading of that yeah so yeah again once once will becomes you know post-sexual yeah and uh you know becomes an adult goes through adolescence and he's then played by jared harris and dubbed by somebody else poor poor jared harris dead it made me so sad i didn't know who jared harris was the last time i watched this movie so i was legitimately shocked when he showed up it took me about a scene and a half to realize it was him that's funny but yeah, that they have that sort of very, very inappropriate father and son relationship, and yeah. it's it's inappropriate. It's an obscene father, and there's obscenity just to the very nature of that relationship. Yeah, and so very, very coded queer, you know, for that in a Damn. in a '90s judgy kind of way. Well, hey, way to find something uh, to say about this that uh, Arthur and I couldn't find, other than rolling our eyes at the Daffy Duck fireworks. Oh gosh, well, oh, so dumb. That is the last thing I wanted to address. Is the Daffy Duck fireworks? I, I, I do. Uh, the, the Porky Pig constellations. Okay, hit um, it. And, and that's simply that this movie is a remake of a 60s television show, right? And it's the idea of taking, you know, stories are always being remade and recycled, and we take the major arcane and the major artifacts, and it does sort of typify that sort of postmodern moment of saying that we are going with a new set of stories, and we're going with something a little bit closer to our contemporaries. And so the new uh, stars systems that we would put together would not be the tales of Hercules and, you know, Achilles and Scorpio the Scorpion fighting whomever. It's going to be Daffy Duck. It's going to be Porky Pig. That's our our, our moment is that. And, I, you know, that's easy to poo-poo like it does in the well, movie. And I think the moment itself is not dumb. I actually think it's kind of, I, I think it's one of the more interesting moments in the script. Right. Um, I also like uh, Heather Graham, like, letting him, it's the one moment where Heather Graham gets to be interesting is it lets her character get one over on West in a moment that I think in an even dumber movie would have gone ahead and let that that uh, that relationship be consummated. Uh, but it insists on making his character such an idiot, and it lets her not be an idiot as well. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's the moment after that. It's it's the callback to that constellation. Oh, when she shoots the flare. When she shoots Daffy the flare Duck. that we have not been given any reason to believe that those those armaments can be turned into flares. That can, it's it's dumb. But I, I no, I think you're right. That's a very good point, Dustin. Because at a certain point, look, you're setting up a new constellation because you're the first human beings in this new place to name these stars and these constellations. 
you're probably going to go with pop culture figures that make more sense than Hercules. Which is, well, what that's what Hercules was, was yeah. that moment. But this moment is sort of this new generation of those kind of things. And today, you know, we are grieved at hearing the news at the day of this recording of Stanley's passing um, at 95. And uh, part of the pantheon of American mythology is largely in debt to Stanley. And so, I mean, this is partly just wanting to say that in memoriam kind of thing and just, you know, Excelsior, sir, um, Godspeed. But um, also beyond that is that those are the gods of our, again, our sort of mythology right now and our American, you know, postmodern mythology. And uh, so this movie is definitely just drenched in that, in that sort of referential kind of world. And there's a way in which the 90s was really, really hokey about it. You know, uh, there's a big Daffy Duck joke in like the first or second episode of Babylon 5, for instance, um, where uh, a, a character makes a, a joke that he's going to go spend time with his second favorite thing. Um, the implication is favorite thing is a man's favorite thing. Um, gross joke. Yeah. But it, it, he's, he's watching Daffy Duck cartoons with this other alien who's eating popcorn beside him and it's kind of hilarious and cute. That is kind of cute. Um, but there, there's a way in which we're going, Daffy Duck? At that moment, and 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 Daffy Duck or you know Porky Pig or whatever these sort of you know again Warner Brothers cartoon characters. Well, but we've kept doing this with uh, you know we've already referenced the uh, the star the Star Trek reboots uh, this episode. They do that in literally all three of those movies with uh, the Beastie Boys, right? And you know Kirk likes uh, classical music, right? The Beastie Boys, the, the Beastie Boys. Yeah, we we've we've been uh, we've continued to do that. Uh, in, in this post postmodern era of the 2010s, but right? in that earliest moment of postmodern filmmaking in the 90s, and again, you can find postmodern filmmaking all the way into the 70s. You can find, you know, For postmodern sure. is a, a much art, lo, different kind of art movement. But the way in which it became so pastiche in the 90s, that was sort of the way, the mode of postmodernism that was used. It was always treated in a really kind of silly kind of way, and I think we're taking it far more serious now. And I think that's a good development, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. We're uh, in the '90s. We were uh, laughing at our future selves for thinking Daffy Duck meant something, and now we're looking at our future selves uh, and you know giving props to our future selves for realizing that Daffy Duck meant something. And, uh, is that what you're getting yeah, at? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And the way in which we'll we'll, we'll revive Robbie the robot. You know, Robbie the robot's ridiculous. Right? Oh, apparently he's very sexy in the. Uh, you guys know about this? You know about the internet being hot for Robbie the robot? I uh, think I did hear or see in something the re- in the reboot. Yeah, the Netflix reboot. Great butt, apparently. Oh, Great yeah. sexy robot cam. Okay, well, good for you, Robbie. There you go. All those hours in the gym finally paid off. The internet loves to be horny for monsters and robots, and you know what? I think it's cute. Adorable. They are. Uh, they love that big goop monster. The kids love that venom. Mm. Love that slimy tongue. Yeah. So uh, it's a dumb movie, I, and I, I don't think that I have a whole lot more to say about it. Arthur, you got anything that you, that hasn't been touched on that you want to bring up? The only thing I thought about, and, and this is kind of a thing in the late '90s and early 2000s, is just the idea of family. Uh, which really is a big mm-hmm. theme, and, and whether it's this or more the subordinate family, like you'd see in like a Fast and the Furious, or and so it's always kind of interesting to me when that comes up as a theme to the where uh, society isn't dealing with family ideals uh, by the late '90s and what that looks like. But if the evil dad's the yuppie dad in the '90s for sure, yeah. the the business heavy working all the time. I don't have time. Hook. Yeah, hook. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and that's you know Pleasantville comes out around the same time. Yeah. I think there's a lot of. The 90s almost getting it, like kind of trying its, knowing that it should be analyzing that 
50s and 60s archetype of the nuclear family and that that false ideal that was presented. Um, I, I think there's something to that. You're right, Arthur, because you're right. The 90s and the early 2000s really were talking about that a lot. And I think now, uh, over the last 10 years, especially with Fast and the Furious, but you know what, really any film uh, that's super big, I think there's a lot of surrogate families and and mate found families are becoming much more touched on. But uh, it is interesting that to see. A, a late '90s film engage with a uh, something that is literally uh, the Swiss Family Robinson in space from the '60s. Right. It's. Uh, I mean, even with uh, this year's The Haunting of Hill House, um, that's the thing about families. And uh, what's it say? Well, you're, the family you're born into is usually the root of all of your trauma. So uh, I think we've uh, can confirm. Yeah. I mean, we started to analyze families in a much more interesting way in our media. And I, I think you're right, though, Arthur, that the '90s knew there was something there. It just hadn't quite scratched it, it yeah it hadn't quite scratched all the way off it hadn't, it hadn't pulled, peeled the scab entirely to figure out what it was it needed to talk about well then 9-11 happened and we got distracted well i mean yeah dude <laughs> again it's easy to say that every movie that came out two years before 9-11 is dumb because it didn't know it was about to happen but well it is i mean it's the truth well and it's the way in which we do periodization anyway and i mean this is sort of a film theory thing that we can sort of end this with is that the 90s really end in 2001 they do absolutely you know, that, i would i think that is you're not up your tree for saying that and and you know a similar way that you can look at the 50s of uh, france they actually begin in 1945 mm-hmm. and they run through the 50s and then something happens in 1960 well, and with the new way you can make the argument that the 70s start in 1968 right and yeah, I, I don't think I think that's entirely accurate. Yeah, May of '68 is the end of the '60s, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's fair to say as well. And w- with Manson and yeah. uh, other things that begin to happen, and again the failure of the youth revolt in Paris as well. I mean, there, look, '68 is a buck wild year. It is a n- <laughs> neato neato year. It's there's a whole lot going on. So yeah. I think you're right. It's it's an important part of film theory, but uh, sometimes. It can bury a film. It really can't. I think the the blacklist can bury a film from the fifties or the sixties, right? And just make it impossible to watch that film and think about anything else, right? So, uh, yeah. Sorry, we watched Lost in Space, guys. Oh, we had a good conversation. We've seen though. worse. We have seen worse. You know what? I can't believe I'm going to say this. Armageddon's better. Well, okay. Well, I, well yeah, it's well, a lot better. Well, well, yeah. I know, but. I didn't think I was going to say those words. That's fair. That's fair. Well, let's do the thing that we do now, then. Shell for trash, Elsewhere instead. So, Dalton, it's better than Armageddon, or Armageddon's better than this, but is it eligible for the shell? No, absolutely not. This movie is bad. What else, then? I owned this movie on VHS uh, as a child. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of this movie. We all fall short. My dad liked the show when he was a kid, so uh, or a teen. The show is fun. I've seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, not an episode. Uh, the old one or the Netflix one. I've uh, not yeah. seen the Netflix one. Totally skippable. Don't waste your time. What should you watch instead? Uh, watch another family space movie from uh, around the same time period, Titan AE, uh, which I we've almost done on the show a couple of times, but we did Treasure, yeah, Planet, we did Treasure instead. Planet instead. Titan AE is a hoot. Uh, Drew Barrymore, uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. It's got a great voice cast. Uh, top. I think Johnny Legs is in One there, too. One of those rare non-Disney animateds from the 90s. I think it's DreamWorks. Yeah, it? it's re- uh, it's actually like 02, maybe. Uh, it's, okay. a little, it's early 2000s. Really good, uh, and I think if you're trying to find something, you know, if you're a listener that's got kids and you're like, I want to show them something from the, the 90s or the aughts, I think Titan AE is a way better bet. It's a little darker, a little weirder, but it's just got a better sense of what it is uh, than this movie. 
Um, if you are wanting um, a better thing about space colonization, uh, a mission to save uh, us from the fury of the natural world, uh, check out Danny Boyle Sunshine, uh, which is not for children, uh, but is badass uh, and also involves flying to the sun, uh, much like Lost in Space. I kept thinking about Sunshine a lot in that that 20-minute stretch of the movie where they're about to fly into the sun. Um, finally, do you want good bugs? Do you still want to watch something from the late 90s? Do you want something that means something? Do you want a movie where the military is also wearing fascist uniforms? Really fascist uniforms you got there lost in space. Kind of a weird call. Go watch uh, Go watch Starship Troopers. You knew what I was going to say, listener. It's better. It's weirder. It's sexier. It's cooler. It's, it's, it's a better movie. It does all the things you want a motion picture to do. It says something. It means something. And it's badass. Don't watch this movie. Awesome. And confirm. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, what do you say, Arthur Gordon? Shell for trash, else or instead? This movie is so bad that it's still putting me to sleep. Um, <laughs> instead of this, so sorry. Uh, you, uh, I've got three other '90s classic TV show adaptations uh, All right. to pair uh, to watch instead of this. The first one is Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. Yeah, check that out. Way better than this starts. movie. Uh, the next one is the uh, Barry Soddenberg. Uh, Adam's family. Oh, oh um, Son. Shit, what? No, Sonfield. Sonfield. Yeah. yeah, he did that. Yeah, I'm that makes sure. sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's kind of got a similar aesthetic to his uh his stuff on Men in Black. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and both of them, I think they're both a lot of fun. So uh, definitely check those out. And finally, uh, <laughs> The Fugitive. Uh, oh yeah. Dang yeah. Hey Arthur, nailed it. Yep. Yeah. You way better. Those are all better. There you go. I think you're right, though. You could you could really credit Mission De Palma's Mission Impossible with starting a lot of these TV adaptations. Well, Adam's Family is in the '90s, early '90s. Does it come before Mission mm-hmm. Impossible? Mission Impossible is '96, and The Fugitive is '93. Adam's Family is '90, '91. Wow. Okay. So maybe it's Mission Impossible that kind of cements it as I a bankable it, yeah, idea. I think that's where it, it really does take off. Yeah. Good man. Good good picks, Arthur. Dustin, what you got, buddy? Okay, so I'm also saying trash. Yeah. Obviously. Um, it's just bad. It's not worth your time. Um, I think in terms of like that sort of if you want that 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 fifties campy kind of feel, and you also want to see the performance upon which Gary Oldman based his performance, you can do no better than 1958's Forbidden Planet. The villain in there is a very, very similar uh look with the goatee and a similar style of performance as to what Go- Oldman's going for there. And also, you got Robbie the Robot. And so that's very fun. And it's, 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 it's a great 50s science fiction movie. It's doing all the things in that very 50s way that does not take you out in any way. And it's got this crazy electronic score, which is really kind of fascinating. And so I recommend that. Now, and um, you got this comedy actor playing an action lead. Oh yeah, Leslie Nielsen's in it. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. And he is the yeah, he's the hero because he's not a comedy actor at this point. I mean, he's, he's not... done comedy, but yeah, he's doing a very leading man kind of uh Captain Kirk kind of thing there before there was ever a Captain Kirk. And so yeah, that's my first recommend there. The, the most interesting thing about this movie is the bubble. The bubble itself and the time travel stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you want more of that kind of sci-fi, two recommendations that are sort of obvious pairings with each other anyway. And these are, of course, instead, watch Andrew Tarkovsky's Stalker and also um, this year's Annihilation with Natalie Portman. Uh, which would have been a lot better if there was a poorly CGI monkey running around. Oh, man. You know what? It's the only thing it's missing. <laughs> Could have been that. Yep. Um, you could just imagine it getting eaten by the, the thing in the cabin. Yeah, oh the the bear thing, Whew. or the or the shark gator. 
The shark no, the bear thing. The bear thing. Bear thing. Talking about peak creature design in 2018. Mm. So good. The things on Which scares level. you more, a shark gator or a, a skull bear? Skull bear. Skull bear. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, I'm yeah. I'm personally very afraid of gators, but I, I get skull bear. Hey, weird water. I stay out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, water. The skull bears on land. Yeah. And I'm always there. That's true. You are always on and land. He's a lot, oftentimes in the woods doing things. And oh, you got to watch out for skull bears. Yeah, I got, I'm going hunting here in a couple of days, um, so you know. Not scared of uh, poorly animated spiders as a rule. No, not I don't generally, I, and I don't like spiders. But uh, sideways mouths, not scary. Mm-hmm. Kind of silly, honestly. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro move. A little bit. Okay, well that's gross. That's the sound those make. So that's a show. <laughs> hey, you know what we just did? We did analysis on Lost in Space. We, we did. Had, and we had a good time doing that. Danger. And danger, danger, Will Robinson. I danger. I think I'm in danger of doing another episode. You want to do one more? I'll do one more. I think you're going to like the next one that's okay, coming Okay, Because the, the last one was a letdown. I'm so sorry. I think we're going to rebound in peak good trash style. Dalton, what are we watching next week? I forgot, Arthur. You're going to have to tell us. I will tell you because next week <laughs> we are going peak 90s action we've got sliced alone shit that's right i we remember got now always bet on black wesley snipes mm. we got sandra bullock we're doing we're going it. into the future we're having vr sex we're going to be eating taco bell we're watching demolition man that's right we are going to then future oh no it's still the future it's 2032 it starts in then future 98 this movie is so good it's uh, so much fun, yeah. All right, Dustin, have we, have we talked to you in one more week? Okay, I will definitely stay one week for Demolition Man. It's going to... Oh, I'm so excited about this damn movie. After uh, that, I might be out, though. All right, we'll you see what we can come talk. up with a way to make me stay. We'll talk you into it. All We've right. got it. Well, I, I think the next... I, I've got a way to keep you around the next week. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But well, there, I'm much more looking forward to... Uh, much more looking forward to Demolition Man than I was Lost in Space. I uh, apologize profusely to any listener who uh, decided to watch this movie. Ooh. My bad. So, well, there you go, dear listener. We are having a conversation about the movies because that's what this is all about. And even a bad, bad movie like Lost in Space is worthy of some conversation, as I hope what has proceeded would demonstrate for you all. So you all just keep watching. We'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. Our intro music is, as always, uh, brought to you by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music this week is Space Oddity by the great David Bowie. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Seven, six. Commencing countdown engines on. Two, check ignition and may God's love be with you.
Tim. 